What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. This is the business of sports. We're in a situation that we haven't dealt with in modern times. The pandemic here has really accelerated the investments that we've been advocating for for years. Almost everyone out there is hoping that there's some kind of return to normal by August, September. In-depth conversations with the leaders in the sports industry. Who wants to be the sacrificial lambs that shows up at the first big major sporting event? We're part of something much bigger than sport right now. And the health and safety of our stakeholders is what's most important. Every moment, I think we're all from a business perspective thinking about the impact that the virus is having across the country. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hi, I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. Every week at this time, plus Mondays and Wednesdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Today, we sit down with Don Davis, co-founder and chairman of the Professional Fighters League. Don previously served as a senior executive at AOL he is a founding partner of private equity fund Revolution Growth and a minority investor in professional esports organization Team Liquid. That conversation straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports show. But first, let's look at some of the top stories of the week, beginning with Florida opening the door to sports in the state. Governor Ron DeSantis says he'll welcome all professional organizations for practice and games including out-of-state teams facing stricter restrictions at home. Jason? I got to tell you, I saw this, and I thought back to a line that my brother used, I think, after an election in Florida. Uh, He lived down there in Miami for a few years, and he simply said, Florida gonna Florida. And I feel like this was what was going on this week. I mean, this is a pretty remarkable move on the part of the governor, don't you think, Mike Lynch? Well, he was the last to uh, to shut everything down, and now right. he's the first to open everything up. And and uh, I have a place down in Naples. I haven't been there in a while, and he closed the beaches down. And when he opened them up, it was just mayhem on the first day. So they shut them right down because everybody came in and was elbow to elbow on the beach like it was the Fourth of July. I think there's just an awful lot. Of, like this is just uh, has chaos written all over it to me. I agree with you, Mike. This this is going to be chaos all over the place again. I've said this. M- over and over, and I'm going to say it again, all it takes is for one person to come in there and test positive for COVID-19, and the whole thing is going to go up in flames, Jason. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really wrestling with this in, in part because of what we saw, and, it, and it's apropos that we're talking about this because we're going to hear in a few minutes from Don Davis, and he's in the MMA business, and, and obviously the UFC we talked a lot about this earlier in the week. You know, they were able to pull it off and they did have a positive case and they were able to quarantine that person. I mean, I guess Florida will be something of an experiment in many ways. I mean, it also remains to be seen how much of this is essentially symbolic and how much of this is really going to be a situation where people are going to take advantage of it. And, and whether it's smaller sports or bigger sports, you know, whether we may see at least some people playing around with different formats to figure out how we get back. 
Up next, let's talk about Tiger Woods and the Golf Channel looking to capitalize on the broadcast of his upcoming charity match with a one-hour special on Tiger airing right after. Well, this is, I think, you can point directly to Last Dance, right? I mean, they, they basically saw how much popularity, how much buzz there was around that Michael Jordan documentary. They had this in the can, and I guess, Mike Lynch, this was something they had planned to air right after the Masters. Obviously, the Masters now postponed uh, to the fall, and in an absence of live sports, I think a ton of people are going to watch this. I couldn't agree more. Uh, the, remember the last dance, the first episode had uh, oh, 6 million people watching it. I think yeah. they're going to have more eyeballs uh, with Tiger Woods here. Um, you know, do we really know the real Tiger Woods? And what I think is going to be really interesting is his volatile caddy at the time, Stevie Williams. Yes. Uh, who's, who's, mm. <laughs> was sort of his enforcer. He was always snapping at photographers, always snapping at fans. He just was a guy that was the enforcers. So this is going to be interesting to watch the exchange between Tiger and Stevie Williams and Stevie Williams and the people that antagonized him. Remember what this documentary is about. It's about him winning four majors within about 300 days. Yeah. I mean, that, that is incredible. I, I And I am like you guys. I want to see how this goes now, Jason. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Tiger Slam, it will go down in history. And honestly, I think this is more interesting in many ways because of the comeback we saw last year, that very emotional Masters win, you know, putting on that green jacket so many years afterwards. And I think there is a resonance for Tiger. And again, I think that nostalgia that we all have felt watching all about Jordan, I think there's some of that with Tiger, even though I think we can be honest, our collective relationship with Tiger is probably a little more complicated than it is with Jordan. And finally, let's talk about the XFL. The league fired CEO Oliver Luck with lawyers for the XFL saying he was terminated for gross neglect of his job during the early days of the coronavirus pandemic, personal use of a league-issued iPhone, and signing former NFL player Antonio Callaway despite owner Vince McMahon's order to avoid players with troubled legal histories. Uh, we've had Oliver Luck on the show a, a number of times, Jason. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I, and I feel sad from the fact that the, the XFL itself, it seemed like it was a great idea, and it just ran into the wrong time. I have to say, reading up on this lawsuit, it just makes you wince to some extent because you can see real issues of disagreement, like the Antonio Callaway signing you can see some of the elements of honest conflict that, that happens everywhere. But when you see that Vince McMahon, and this is really just McMahon versus luck in, in many ways. This is not about the institutions. This is these two guys. And my best evidence of that is he's going after him for using his work phone for some personal business. I mean, wow, <laughs> that, that's, that's pretty brutal, Mike. If we didn't know any better, this would be a setup for the next episode. Tune in next week to see what happens between <laughs> Oliver Locke and Vince McMahon, right? Because that's that's the formula for success with the old WWF and WWE. Exactly. You got a villain. You got a villain who is Vince McMahon. You got a malign guy who is Oliver Locke. Uh, but this seems so very very petty. The one thing that he's got going for him, I mean, Oliver Luck, is that Vince personally guaranteed his contract. Five right. years, five million, with a $2 million bonus. And this reminds me of another fledgling league, the USFL, 
when Doug Flutie won the Heisman Trophy, uh, Donald Trump signed him to a contract with the New Jersey Generals and personally guaranteed it. And when the league folded, the USFL, Flutie continued to be paid by Donald Trump. Will, now that the XFL is up for sale, uh, will Vince McMahon honor his personal contract with all of it? This is something I've always said. Every business owner, whether you're Vince McMahon or whether you're the mom-and-pop store owner down the street, everybody has a dream when they start a business. And, and, and I wish people would understand. I mean, yes, we walk into the store, we walk into the stadium, but remember, it is a business. So when something goes belly up, I always feel bad 99.9% uh, .9 of the time because somebody's dream just went up in flames. And this is, this is a, a remake of the XFL, and, and I really thought it was going to work. I did too, and, and or I thought it at least had promise, and and certainly the the early reviews were good, and the ties to the NFL it felt like were closer, and so it was set up uh, in a way to at least have a much better shot. But for it to descend, uh, as you say, Mike, into this sort of pettiness, and also just this level of acrimony and personal acrimony, it's it's kind of tough to watch. It just enhances the image of Vince McMahon as the bully, the bad guy, for the next time he surfaces. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Now let's get to this week's interview with Don Davis, co-founder and chairman of the Professional Fighters League. Don has a ton of experience in both sports and business, previously serving as a senior executive at AOL, and he's also a founding partner of Private Equity Fund Revolution Growth and a minority investor in professional esports organization Team Liquid. Don, thank you so much for joining us on the Bloomberg Business of Sports show. It's great to be here. So, Don, my biggest challenge in preparing for this interview was where to begin. I mean, looking at your background, your breadth of experience as Michael Barr just sort of briefly touched on, uh, it's sort of amazing. So I'm so grateful that, that we have some time with you. Let's start, though, with the Professional Fighters League because it feels like that area of sports in this absolutely bizarro time we're living in may be providing a glimmer of hope of, of how we get back. Give us the state of play with the league. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, the Professional Fighters League, for those who might not know of listening, is the first and only that does the true sport format. That means individual fighters compete in a regular season, playoffs, and championships. So it's just like the NBA or the NFL, where it's transparency and meritocracy. As you know, in the UFC, which is great entertainment, a promoter, in that case Dana White, decides the rankings, decides who's number one and number two and who's going to fight. 
So it's fantastic fighting and entertainment, but it's not a sports season because obviously in the NBA, Adam Silver doesn't decide, hey, is LeBron James going to make the playoffs? He's got to earn it to win in advance. Um, so in the PFL, it is the sports season format, which has never happened in combat sports, whether it's boxing or MMA. And that's what we're really founded on is that regular season playoff and championship. And in the PFL, we were founded three years ago. We've completed two seasons, uh, the 2018 and 2019 season, and we're on ESPN2 Live in 160 countries around the world. But this year, obviously, with the pandemic, and we have fighters from 25 countries around the world and broadcast 160 countries, we had to postpone the season until spring of 2021, where we'll be again on ESPN2 and with 30 media partners in 160 countries around the world. But in order to keep the integrity of the season, take six months for the regular season, playoffs, and championship, fighters have to win four times eventually to be crowned the champion. That'll be in spring of 2021. I know this, this uh, sport is exploding globally, but what's the percentage of fans here in the United States versus fans in other countries that, that are, are addicted to, uh, to professional fighting? It's a great question. Look, I grew up watching the big four sports like most people in the United States. There's 300 million MMA fans globally. That's the third biggest fan base after soccer and basketball. But only 15%, one-five of those fans are in the United States. So for most of us here in the U.S., we think of MMA as more of a, a niche sport. But when you look globally, it's a mass sport. It's a top three sport in almost every country except the United States. So it's growing 10% a year, the fastest growing sport. And it's viewed in 160 countries, and there's 300 million fans. So if you're looking at a sport for the next decade, and certainly it's a young sport, 50%, demo 18 to 35, MMA is the sport for the next decade. Don, you might have in this environment now uh, a good setup. And what I mean by that is you can take the fight and possibly put it in a studio to avoid you know, any contact with fans because right now sports, they want to come back without fans. But you guys could do that. I think England is doing something like that where they're trying to get the boxers in the studio to fight with just the promoter, and you guys could do that. Is, is that something you guys are thinking about? Smart question, and really two parts of that question. Uh, one is MMA in general, and then two is PFL specifically. So MMA in general, and this applies to the UFC and credit to them what they did this past weekend, it only takes about 100 total people to put on an MMA event. That's the fighters. That's the TV personnel. That's all the people who judge it, medical, all the personnel. So if you said, let's put on the highest quality MMA fight in the world, 100 total people. Remember, there's also eight fights. So you just get 16 people right there. Um, and so that's, that's very small. That is 50% the other smallest number. In some sports like football takes almost 500 people to put on if you have no fans. So MMA in general is the most insulated sport from macro events and takes the fewest number of people to put on in a safe way. Part two is the PFL specifically. PFL was founded as a made-for-TV media and content platform company. So we're never about fans. Even in our total business model, we're a 2,500 fan product. That's our seventh most important revenue stream. Um, in my history at America Online, even before that, a Tribune company, the broadcast and media company, is about building innovative digital broadcast, and streaming content globally. So that's what we're doing at the PFL. Like this year, we have eight new non-fight series that are, are viewed. 
we stream mobily all of our fight content with interesting data and analytics because we've wired the cage. We're going to have prop bets and gambling next year on the mobile phone. So we're all about really the digital content and the digital fight content, whether it's a mobile phone, whether it's streaming, and whether it's broadcast globally. So we're really a made-for-TV product, and the fans are necessary if you can get them as an ancillary product, but it's really the TV product. And so, Don, what do you do in the meantime? It sounds like you're thinking a lot about the the future of the product, but what do you need to do? What have you done in order to, you know, keep your fighters healthy, keep them paid? I, I wonder, like, how does that all work in terms of keeping the enterprise going at a time where, you know, this is a week where we're learning that 36 million people have filed for some sort of unemployment benefit or jobless. Uh, how are you running the business at this point? Well, first of all, we're, we're an entrepreneurial business. You know, we're not a, a billion-dollar or $10 billion business like, you know, all these other sports leagues. Mm-hmm. That said, we've done something that no sports league has done. We voluntarily came out, and we created a monthly cash stipend to pay all of our fighters on the roster. They don't have to pay us back. It's not part of the contract. And we did that for this season. We know that they're going through a hardship. We're all going through a hardship. So we're a fighter-first culture. We want this to be a place that fighters not only control their own destiny, which they can't in other places. You have to be given a title fight. You can't earn one. Here you can earn one. But we also wanted to take care of them. So we announced that for fighters, that even though it's modest, it's $1,000 a month, you know, it's $8,000 for this year, it's something. And for a little company like us, that's a lot. So we did that for the fighters. The second thing we did is we're, we're tripling down this year on innovation. The PFL was the the first one to wire the cage. We call it the smart cage. That includes chips in the gloves of all the fighters and a film under the mat, which captures all the fight data and the fighter analytics and displays them on the screen. So that makes it super cool if you're a a serious MMA fan because you see, like, punch impact, Mm. pressure, heart rate, kick speed. But if you're a newbie, like maybe all of us on the phone and you're used to watching baseball or football, you now can understand these are fantastic athletes and get a little bit more into the fight if it's new to you. We're now doing even more for next year. We will have more cageonomics, which is the term we have for the data and analytics. Mm -hmm. And all these will be prop bets on your mobile phone. Will Ray Cooper III, our champion, have two punches over 30 miles an hour? Yes or no? You could bet on that with a simple one click on your mobile phone next year. So we really call it tripling down on innovation and cageonomics, and that includes even the ref cam. We're the first to get clearance to have a small camera on the referee, and you could look and take that view all the time on the PFL app. So we will take you not only inside the cage like we did last year, next year we'll take you inside the locker room, and we'll have interviews with the fighter before the walkout on what they need to do to win this fight. So the PFL is not only about innovation, but access. And all the technology, all the clearances, all the getting the fighters comfortable with that, that's what we're using this year to do. It's called the second piece of, of what we're doing, why we're taking care of the fighters, we're enhancing the product for fans. 
Don, we're so happy to have you with us. And again, it's just a it's a feast for us to talk about so many different things with you. I want to pick up on something that Michael Barr just mentioned in your bio, and that is esports. It feels like this is quite a moment uh, for the esports league. I was just watching. Uh, this is a silly reference, maybe, but I was just watching the season finale, series finale of Ballers, and even that, uh, you know, they moved into the esports arena. I do wonder: is this a moment for esports? Well, look, if you look at the viewing data globally, uh, the League of Legends final had more viewers than the NBA finals, the World Series, and it was equal to the Super Bowl. And most of us in the United States, certainly all of us that are in our 50s, think that's insane because we don't know what League of Legends is, nor have we ever seen it. So that tells you that in three years, the League of Legends, which is growing 25% a year in viewership, which is one of the esports, will be the most viewed sporting event globally. So this is really the tip of the iceberg for esports. Uh, the viewership will explode. The only people really watching it on TV now are 30 years and under. Most of them are male, and very few are in the United States. So you still have United States viewers, female viewers, and over 30 viewers to go. It's already as big as, as the NBA or the World Series. So I think, yeah, the, the biggest is, is to come for esports. You're talking about the viewership right now that there are people – the main audience is 30 and under. Well, I, I've got a head full of gray hair and, <laughs> and, and a geezer. And, and i got to relate a story real quick about my, my 15-year-old son. He's playing Rocket League. And I'm sitting there, and I'm in the chair, and he's playing with his uh, buddies. In, he's on an eSports team with his high school. And they're practicing, and he, he had a moment where he's like, oh, no, I missed getting the goal. And I'm like, oh, John, no, what happened? And, and I realized I am enthralled in watching him play. And I, and I think as we get along in society, the uh, geezers like me will like to watch that. So let me have your thoughts about that. The Dota 2, which is one of the games, you know, it's interesting, like we have, you know, Football, baseball, hockey, soccer. There's esports. Esports is not one sport. You know, you got League of Legends, Dota 2, Overwatch. You know, it's kind of it's kind of like uh, and Team Liquid plays all the sports, right? It's an Uber team. So Dota 2 is one of the bigger sports, and the Dota 2 International. There were sixty thousand people watching eight little teeny people play it right, in the arena, um, and it's broadcast on huge screens, and it's a spectacle. So people love to watch people play. And um, will older people love that? I'm sure over time. But i got to tell you, I, I don't even know the positions. You know, there's a laner, there's a juggler, right? You know, so I think it'll take a while, and then you see the pixels move on the screen and somebody ambush somebody, but what are the moves? Or there's, we all come to know at least a little bit what's a good catch, what's a good pass in hockey, right? What's a good double play? I think it takes a long time for older people who do not play the games to even appreciate the moves. So, yes, I think the sport will get a little bit older. And I think that's going to take a while, but I don't even think that really matters because there's a lot of room still for it to explode. So, Don, are the franchise values growing in esports? Help us understand it from the business perspective. Yeah, but look, um, typical sports teams are valued about eight times revenue, so-called a football team or baseball team, and their growth rate is single digits. Eight, nine, ten percent at the most. Esports growth rates right now, in terms of revenue, they're growing about fifty percent, and their multiples are about twelve times revenue. So when we invested in Team Liquid, we bought the team sixty percent of the team for about fifteen million dollars. 
And the team's now valued by Forbes, you know, about $350 million. And that's because the revenue has grown proportionally. Uh, most of that revenue comes from sponsorship, advertising, and, and you guys will love this, watching players practice. So remember the Allen Iverson practice? You're talking about practice? Okay. One of our bigger revenue streams is Twitch pays Team Liquid so that fans can watch Team Liquid players practice. Huge revenue stream. People love to see the best in the world practice. If Allen Iverson was only playing today and could get money watching him practice, he'd probably practice more. So, um, but yeah, the values have exploded because the revenue is growing 50% a year and they're getting a very high multiple on that revenue because of future growth. And so have you seen sort of different types of investors come into this? I, I wonder how that expands as people see opportunities. And, you know, I think about it, and you've watched this probably much more closely uh, than I have, but you think about sort of the ownership shifts ownership shifts, pardon me, that you've seen across the other major sports. You know, you've got a lot of private equity investors like yourself who've gotten involved in the NBA and Major League Soccer and even baseball, less so in football. What have you seen in, in terms of the type of investor who's attracted to esports? Um, you know, I think esports people, you know, have tended to, um, you know, put in a modest amount of money. Um, they think these team values could, you know, be worth three, four, five hundred million yeah um you know but i think where the bigger money has been um i have almost eight sports team owners as investors in the professional fighters league um 10 billionaires as investors in the professional spiders fighters league and they range from people like mark burnett jimmy Iveen, tony robbins to ted leonsis and and mark lerner in in sports side and i think what they've all seen in the professional fighters league is ufc's work six billion dollars and there's 300 million mma fans and ufc puts on 30 events a year there's no clear number two but there are 10 soccer leagues around the world and those 10 soccer leagues are worth 100 billion dollars combined (laughs) and so mma is like soccer a global audience but there's no even number two let alone number three or number four in mma and if you think about the demand, there's 6,000 basketball games a year. There's 4,000 soccer matches, but there's 30 MMA events, and there's only one company providing it, and that one company is worth $6 billion, and there's no number two. So that's where I think the huge, call it billions of dollars, not hundreds of millions of dollars, is going to be made mm-hmm. in the MMA side and the professional fighters league side. And that's, I think, where the bigger money, so far in my judgment, has come. Then a similar track for esports, you think? I think esports is going to be more modest, and why do okay. I say that? Um, the game, League of Legends, right, is owned by you know Tencent, who owns Riot Games. They get most of the money. Uh. The distribution, Twitch, gets the second most amount of money. So therefore, the two biggest revenue streams in esports are owned by someone else. There's no league, and the teams do not participate in that. They participate in the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh biggest revenue streams. But in Professional Fighters League, all eight revenue streams of the NBA are the revenue streams of the PFL. So investing in the PFL now is like investing in owning the NBA in the 1970s. You get all eight revenue streams, you get them from their nascent growth period all the way through their explosive growth period. And if you invest in esports now, the, the first, second, third biggest streams, right, media, 
intellectual property distribution, you don't get those. Those are owned by somebody else. Don, we've seen a lot of niche sports uh, in the X Games uh, somehow trickle their way into the Olympics. Is this a goal for uh, MMA to someday be an Olympic sport? Well, as many uh, listeners may not know, five of the six disciplines that make up MMA are already in the Olympics. Right? Wrestling, judo, boxing. Um, MMA will be in the Olympics in 2028 in L.A. Um, there's already talk among the Olympic Committee. It's already at the final stages of evaluation. Um, I think 75% chance it'll be in the Olympics in 2028. Um, I think there's two reasons for that. Um, one, it's a super exciting sport. Uh, and number two, um, they're trying to look for younger viewers for the Olympics. And as we talked about earlier, younger viewers globally watch MMA. Um, so it, it's already got the disciplines, but the disciplines are very niche, and MMA is very mass. So I think you will see it in 2028. Over the years, we've seen uh, mergers, competing leagues uh, merge, or one league just seems to go away. AFL, NFL, WHA, National Hockey League, uh, the ABA, and the NBA. Do you ever foresee a time when the Professional Fighters League and the UFC would get together and become one entity? Yeah, I don't think so, and that's not our goal at the PFL. Um, I fans need and want more MMA great fights, as I mentioned in the previous segment. 6,000 basketball games, but only 30 MMA fights worldwide at the highest level. Remember, there's a lot of little regional promotions, just like there's single-A baseball teams. But at the major, major league level, there's only UFC. Um, UFC you know, now has 19% of its roster that are top 20 fighters in the world. The PFL has 14% of its roster that are top 20 fighters in the world. So where the UFC brand is well-known, because they've been around 26 years, the PFL brand is still in kindergarten. We recognize that. We've only been around two years. But our fighter roster is great. Our fights are as exciting, and our brand is growing. And we offer a different product, you know, that meritocracy and transparency of the, of the sports season format. So I think we'll continue to be an alternative. I think it's more like the PFL is maybe Netflix, and UFC is maybe Blockbuster. They're just two different approaches. And, uh, and we just want to give fans an alternative. What they do is great, but what we think we, what we do is great. It's just an alternative. Well, we know what happened with Blockbuster, don't we, Don? <laughs> it took a decade also. That one was yeah. uh, hard work. This one, it, I'm going to bring this up, and it's a lot more serious. Uh, teams like the Miami Marlins, there are rumors going around and, and reports that they're going to furlough up to 40% of their operational staff obviously because of the coronavirus pandemic. have It seems like you guys have avoided something like that because of the, the nature of your sport and the business model and how things are made up. Can you comment on that? Yeah, sure. Look, the PFL is an entrepreneurial company. Um, and, you know, we all took 20% pay cuts. Uh, look, I myself take no salary as a founder and chairman. I've always taken no salary building this company. Um, but our staff, is very lean, and they've all taken 20% pay cuts to do this. Um, so we really take care of our fighters. That's where we put our money. Uh, but our, our staff, we've all been, been very tight, very scrappy building this company. Don, as an investor, how do you look at this landscape, especially when it comes to sports and media? You have had experience across all of these different leagues and you even your history, your career goes even back to uh, working as a lawyer for the Chicago Cubs, working for the, as the lawyer for the Chicago Cubs. I do wonder as you look across the sports landscape, where do you invest right now? Where do you go next? 
Yeah, I finally did Sammy Sosa's first contract for him. Uh, I remember it well. You know, after Sammy had his 30-30 year and was looking to get paid in the good old Selby days. Um, it, so where I would invest in sports is the same place I invest um, at Revolution or, or most people invest. Growth. Where yeah. is their growth? That's the first question. The second question always is global. What is global? And then the third question is always innovation. What is using technology for innovation? Because if you look for growth, global, and innovation, you have got all those major trends driving your product and business model. That's why I put not only my time and my money and all of our effort against PFL, because it has the growth, the global, and the innovation in sport. Nobody else has those, call it big three, all going for them. Um, so that's why I believe you know MMA is the core sport holding to make money for the next decade. Uh, I did not get into this as a passion play or as a hobby. Um, I got into this as a core investment theme that I thought was explosive. Don, uh, a lot of uh, DraftKings went public about three weeks ago, and uh, the NBA has invested in them, Jerry Jones, Robert Kraft, uh, Madison Square Garden Corporation, the Dolan family. Have you invested with DraftKings, and do you see that as a source of a revenue stream for your league? Um, at Revolution, we were a big investor in DraftKings, and also uh, my partner at Revolution has been a core board member. So, yes, we've been in DraftKings for a very long time. Uh, we're a big supporter and big believer in DraftKings. Um, you know, in my role as a founding partner at Revolution, absolutely. Um, so we think DraftKings is a fantastic company. Um, PFL is a partner with DraftKings. We've done fantasy games with them. In fact, the PFL 2019 championship, where you could pick six, pick the six winners, uh, was the second most MMA-played fantasy game after Mayweather-McGregor. So think of that. You know, the PFL, once again, not a well-known brand yet. And ours was the second most popular fantasy game ever. So we will be doing, as I said, real-time gambling in 2021. We're talking with DraftKings, but we're also talking with the major um, global gaming companies, uh, whether they're Caesars or MGM or Bet365. We haven't chosen our partner yet on the gambling side. But DraftKings has been a major fantasy partner of ours, and we love that company. Let me add one more about that when you talk about DraftKings and online gambling in general. I know it has been a, the, the basic question uh, ever since the states approved it, but where do you see the future of online gambling going? I mean, right now it's in several states, and eventually it's going to be like the lottery. Pretty much all the states are going to have it, uh, at least that's my opinion anyway. What do you think about it? Look, uh Sadly, the history of states is they need more revenue, and uh, they spend more, and therefore they need more revenue. And so gambling is a source of state revenue. So I think all the states will approve it, and they will all tax it, and they will all use it to get more revenue. So I think that trend is historically proven, and that will happen. So then the question is, what will be the consumer offerings, and what companies will win? Um, I think my history in, in building companies, back to AOL, is the companies that offer the most fun and the most simple products tend to win. Um, so I don't think it's uh, about complexity. I think it's about simplicity. So what's one-click bets? What is the simplest and most fun game? I think a lot of people are still talking about, you know, how do you have your Bloomberg terminal of data, right? Right, this is thrown around a lot. Traders love that. Gamblers love that, but what consumers love 
It's simple, easy, fun. And so I think the companies that do simple, easy, fun bets are going to explode in terms of users and revenue. And so, Don, as you look across the sports landscape and and you figure out kind of where we are, you guys have made your decision with the PFL about essentially just postponing till next year. So much talk. You know all these sports very well. What's your prediction for what we see for the balance of 2020 when it comes to the major sports leagues? Yeah, I remember from high school that Newton's law, first law of motion, right? Things at rest tend to stay at rest. Things in motion tend to stay in motion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we all want to get back um, to work and to play in the sports today due to this virus. Uh, but I think the reality is while the summer will be a little bit better, the fall will be a little bit worse. And so I think what we have to assume is things in motion will stay in motion. What do I mean by that? Um, it's very hard to set a schedule. It's very hard to plan. Those plans will move. Those plans will get upset, and then they will have to be rescheduled again. So I think you'll see seasons like the NHL and the NBA that were started. Um, they'll try to finish, and then they'll try to finish again. They'll plan a new season to start. Then they'll have to plan a new season to start again. <laughs> so I think um, the NFL will have one plan. Then they'll have a new plan. College football will have plan A. Then they'll go to plan B and C. So everybody will try to get back to work, back to play, back to sports. But they'll have to keep running through iterations. They'll have to keep making new plans, and things will stay in motion. So I think you'll see things get messy, messy, and messy. But, you know, we're all Americans, not Americans. We're going to get it done. Um, but, but I think everybody telling you that they have things with certainty or things are going to happen this way, um, I, I don't think that's how it's going to be. Don, uh, the Governor DeSantis down in Florida said they're open for business, and if you like uh, want to compete, we'll find a place for you in the state. Were you tempted at all, just even for one second, to take him up on that offer and maybe just change your mind and, and, and get everybody back at competing? Uh, look, I, I always look through all options, um, all alternatives. But there's two things for the PFL. Um, number one, we have this integrity of a season. Um, it's not just how you put on one or two or three fights to make money. Um, that's not an integrity of a season. Um, and so to do a season, you got to have fighters from 25 countries be able to travel and train and then compete in a full season. So that's not possible. Back to the, how I just answered the question, that's not possible. So we don't want to have a truncated season. We don't want to have a fake season. We don't want to just have two or three one-off fights. So that wasn't possible, whether it's Florida or whether it's Fight Island. Those are isolated events. There are, there are great entertainment products, but it's not an NBA season or it's not a PFL season. Um, we think the first time you can have a full season where fighters from 25 countries can travel and train with safety and wellness is spring of 2021. Don Davis, co-founder and chairman of the Professional Fighters League, as Bobby Brady would say, neato, man. I'm so glad you could come and join us. Thank you, sir, for talking with us on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Thank you. I'm telling you, I'm an old dude. And I was watching my son playing eSports, and eventually that 30 and younger audience is going to grow. And and Don confirmed what I was thinking. One day, it's going to happen. Look, if we can watch Championship Bridge back in the late 50s and early 60s, (laughs) we sure can watch eSports. Well, can and should are two different things, Michael, I think, and we can leave that uh, for another day. I mean, listen, I, what I really took away from that conversation, and I think the eSports piece is a, is a great example, and the PFL, is that 
this is a guy who's spent an entire career looking around corners, right? I mean, you think about AOL, and while AOL has obviously in many ways gone by the wayside, they ushered in an entirely new era of communication. And I just think you have to watch investors and operators like this guy to get a sense of, of where folks like that are thinking. And and Mike Lynch, I have to say, uh, his roster of his compadres who are invested in uh, PFL, yes. those are some names I've heard. I've heard a few of those names too. <laughs> what, I, what I took away from this was um, I'm trying to find a reason for me to watch uh, MMA. And I think back to NASCAR. When I got hooked on NASCAR, when there were uh, cameras in the, uh, mm-hmm. in the in the driver's helmet, cameras yeah. in the car, cameras on the brake pads, you could actually see the brake pads touching. So when he talked about this smart cage and chips in the gloves, and you can actually bet on the velocity of the punch, or uh, and you could see uh, uh, a camera coming through the floor, it's just a different way to watch a sport that you don't see normally in, in the four major sports. So that that was my takeaway. And now I'm curious because the next opportunity I have to watch, I'm going to tune in. Yeah, for sure. Before we get to the number of week of the week, guys, remember, Mike, you brought up about NASCAR and the cameras. Remember the dog cam? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. It, they called it the dog cam because the camera was right on the the door, right on, right as you head into the the cockpit and the doors, right there by the A frame, and just where your dog would hang out the window when yep, he's exactly. out on the road. So that's why they called it the dog cam. I love that. That was my favorite one. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business and Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of the week. Everybody, you can play along at home. I will give you a hint, though. This is an age, 89. 89. It's not Little Richard, because I think he was 87? No, that, you, you are correct, sir. Um, it's not Don Shula, because Don Shula was 90. 92. 90. When he died. 92. Yeah. 92. Hmm. It, it is someone who is still very much alive. Oh. Yeah, you got to tell us. Well, I'm talking about the Say Hey Kid, Willie Mays. Oh, Willie Mays. Yes, he nice. turned 89 a few days ago. And uh, he has uh, a book that's coming out. Well, the co-author, John Shea, is coming out with a new book about Mays. 24 Life Stories and Lessons from the Say Hey Kid. And Mays has one thing that he always remembers in his time now. He says, my thing is to keep talking and keep moving. So, Willie, great in baseball. Keep it going, my man. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcasts. You can catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can follow me at Lynchy WCVB. And I'm Jason Kelly. Find me on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. Thank you so much for joining us. Tune in next week when we speak with Harvey Spivak, the chairman of Equinox, all about reopening the world of fitness. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports and Bloomberg Radio around the world. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.